1: Are you ready for the poopiest street in San Francisco? Um,
2: I have a feeling I'm going to be very disappointed. (laughs)
1: One way or the other. That's me and producer Cynthia Lopez heading to Sycamore Street, where city complaint data shows the most reports of human or animal waste in the whole city. Is that poop? (laughs) Let's investigate more closely. No, that's definitely poop. Why are we on poop patrol? Because San Francisco has had, for a long time, a bit of a reputation for having human waste on the streets. And in 2014, the city decided to do something about it. I'm Laura Wenis. This week's fix, the Pit Stop program. Addressing a human waste problem by providing public toilets with staff to make sure things run smoothly. From the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, this is Fixing Our City. Let's be honest, a lot of public toilets kind of suck. And it's not exactly a revolutionary concept to respond to a public urination and defecation problem with bathrooms. San Francisco's innovation was hiring people to make sure the bathrooms are well-maintained, but also to be a kind of ambassador.
3: So what makes a pit stop a pit stop different than other
1: public toilets is that they're staffed. This is Rachel Gordon, spokesperson for the Department of Public Works. That's the department responsible for, among other things, street cleaning. She says staffing is what helps keep the bathrooms in the city's pit stop program from falling into disrepair, getting vandalized, or being otherwise misused.
3: We want to make sure that the bathrooms are being used for their intended purpose, and that's for people to go to the bathroom. We've seen not just in San Francisco, but in other places around the world, really, that the bathrooms can be used for places for people to sleep, to deal drugs, to take drugs, to change their clothes, to do a whole bunch of other things. But we know people need to take care of their bathroom needs. Everyone does. So we want to make sure that if you use a pit stop, you'll know that it's going to be well-maintained and cleaned and staffed. It's going to be a safe place to be able to go to the bathroom.
1: Tending to a pit stop is hard work, and it means a lot more than just cleaning out trash and wiping down surfaces. It actually involves some trust building. Fixing Our City producer, Cynthia Lopez, and sound engineer Gary Baca went out to 16th and Cap
4: Streets in the mission
1: to meet an attendant.
4: My name is Randy Carter and I'm a lead supervisor for Civic Pit Stop.
2: Carter starts in the afternoon and works his way from one pit stop to the next as they close. He gets them ready to pack up and put away for the evening. He's been working with the program for a while and says when it started, people didn't necessarily know what to make of the mobile
4: toilets. I started in 2016 at the unit on 16th in Mission. Then people were still were getting used to come, actually coming inside to use the unit. As a matter of fact, they were still peeing in the bushes, right by the unit. And they were still a little defiant, like my first couple of weeks there, but gradually as they seen that we would also not just monitor the unit, but I would also pick up the trash. I would engage with the people there and while I'm picking up the trash, so I became a part of the community. So we try to pay attention to not just people who want to use the restroom. They might need any type of help. Sometimes people will stop by and say, hey, my phone ran out of juice can you make this emergency call for me? Some people may come through and they may ask for directions, different resources. And since we're familiar with the area, not only are we familiar with the unit, but we become familiar with the whole block.
1: This is part of why attendants are what make the program, says Rachel Gordon with the Department of Public Works.
3: There's also a workforce development component to a pit stop, which is we contract or have agreements with nonprofits that have workforce development. So at the beginning, the people who were staffing the pit stops were fresh out of prison. They showed that they wanted to work, and they were incredible workers, really. And they also had kind of the street cred. You're also supposed to be somewhat of an ambassador around that area. If you see litter around there, you can go and and pick it up. There are a number of attendants over the years. One of them caught a, a guy who held up a gas station in the Castro. What? chased them down. We've had people do uh, saving lives with CPR. There's been a number of things, you know, they're in some pretty challenging neighborhoods sometimes and they see a lot that's going on. They're
1: pretty remarkable people who are staffing them. The whole idea for the pit stops came from a visit to the Tenderloin back in 2014. There were a number of people from
3: different city departments, so Public Works, Rec and Park, the MTA, economic development at a budget meeting with then-mayor Ed Lee. And this one was in the Tenderloin. He was going to different neighborhoods around the city as he was developing his budget to see what the priorities would be. So for this one, there were some students from a school called the Demarillac Academy, which is in the heart of the Tenderloin, who came to the budget meeting and they said, what we would like is to be able to walk to school without having to figure out how to get down the sidewalk without stepping in somebody's human waste. Seems like a pretty simple request to make if you're a teenager, right? So we thought, okay, let's see if we can get more public bathrooms in the Tenderloin, in particular, start there. What would it take for people to use them? So within probably a two-hour meeting with about five of us at Public Works involved in operations, communications, we came up with this scenario. How would it work? And then three months later, we had our first pit stops open, and those were in the Tenderloin, three of them on a pilot basis. And then from there, the
1: program grew. 33 of these pit stops have now been established across 13 neighborhoods. The Tenderloin has several of them within a few blocks of one another. It might not be a coincidence that the Tenderloin is the only neighborhood where complaints to the city's 311 system about poop have declined over the years. So I went to check the toilets out, together with Cynthia. All right, Turk and Taylor. Looks pretty clean to me.
2: People we talk to generally like the concept, even if there are some problems we found Leland Harrison standing near this pit stop.
4: I was actually waiting to use the restroom. But it's not working.
2: Oh, how long have you been waiting?
4: Uh, about like five minutes. I mean, I just like the fact that they out here and you know, we can use the restroom when we need to.
2: James Arthur Anderson said he uses the pit stop pretty regularly and he's a fan.
4: Whoever started this program, just keep it going. The gender neutral thing, that's no problem. You know, if a person come here with any kind of like lewd type of energy or, or lewd type of behavior, they instantly get talked to and get told to leave. They help you with directions as well.
2: His one criticism was that the bathroom should be open later.
4: So maybe if they hire them for extra hours, that'll work even better. Because you know, it's people that are still homeless that still need to use the bathroom or there's individuals that just driving around, like, yeah, hey, I gotta use a bathroom and all the stores are closed. So, you know, if they could just hire more people to do it, it'll work, it'll work even better. And it keeps the streets cleaner to where, yeah, you probably only had to clean the streets, what, once a week, two times a week, save soap, save water.
2: We heard this a lot, actually.
5: They are a godsend for the most part for people who are homeless and living in encampments.
2: This is Peter Rauch. He works at Bodecker Park in the Tenderloin, right by our next stop, the pit stop at Jones and Eddy
5: Streets. I think they need to be opened a little later. That one's 24 hours up by my house up there, I live right up there. And they're not always there because, and I know it's not really something that is DPW's fault, but it is just, they get trashed. And so they have to go away and get repaired. So that's a little bit of a downside because then people are panicking. This one's only open to 7 p.m. This is a major, major, you know, intersection and in a major part of this whole community and they only stay open till seven. That needs to be you know, at least midnight or something, you know, especially if that one's down. With the bathrooms, there often comes the after product, which is fumes and odor. And I can smell that from afar. And that's the only thing is that it can get a little foul, but you gotta have a trade-off. You either gotta have places for people to use the bathroom or you know, rather than the street. You know, the the only downside to that is that it attracts crowds. Uh, You know, people seem to loiter. They then tap into the electrical poles because everything is so close. They've got their bathrooms, they've got their food, they've got their services.
1: I brought up this idea to Rachel Gordon from Public Works because Rauch isn't the only one who says that making toilets available can attract certain behaviors. There's sort of a narrative out there that available toilets encourage encampments. I think that there even have been some that have been removed because of complaints about this. In your observation, is that the case? Like, do they encourage gathering? And, you know, what do you do about that?
3: Yeah, we've not seen that having a pit stop encourages an encampment to form around there. We have, though, if a pit stop is going to be open 24 hours a day and there's going to be a monitor, two monitors actually overnight for safety purposes, there might be more people and more activity around there. So does it bring activity? It does. Hopefully it does because you want people to use them. I don't think there are magnets for bad behavior. In fact, I think it's really the opposite, that it helps people uh, take care of business in a dignified way and a way to really help the neighborhoods than to detract. We do try to do outreach and talk to people and neighbors about where they want them. And it's an interesting balance as well, because we will hear from residents, places, neighborhood folks who are going like, do something about the human waste. We'll bring a toilet in there. And they're like, I don't want a toilet anywhere near me.
1: I also asked Gordon about this main takeaway from our field reporting. People seem to want the toilets to be open later. It's pretty hard to find a public restroom open past nine. Why? The answer is money. It's not cheap to run a pit stop. There are a few different types of bathrooms in the program. Some are mobile toilets that get towed to the public works yard periodically to be cleaned and maintained. Some are porta-potties. Some of those green metal JC Deco public toilets that have been around for a long time were brought into the Pit Stop program by adding attendants. So depending on the type of bathroom, if you have to move it on and
3: off site, it costs more money. The type of bathroom and the hours, that's going to affect the cost. So it could be anywhere from $100,000 a year to $600 dollars a year depending on the hour. So if it's 24-hour operation, that's going to be a lot more expensive because the bulk of the cost, it's just under $13 million a year to operate the program. The bulk of the cost is for staffing. And so the more you have to pay people to monitor it, the more the program's going to cost.
1: Gordon says they've talked about keeping pit stops open but unstaffed some of the time, but that risks vandalism, which would end up taking them offline anyway. Is there any information about, like, trade-off between the cost of having staff pit stops and what it would cost to clean up the waste that would otherwise end up on the street? So that's a great question, and we looked at
3: that, but we thought we would have, when we were looking at that and figuring out, how can we make that argument to get more funding that it's just cost-effective? We know that our staff would still be out there cleaning anyway somewhere else, so there wasn't a cost savings in that way, and that's why we look at the other things. Yes, less feces or urine, whether it's dog or human— To clean up in that particular area, there might be other areas to clean up, but we're also really looking again at the neighborhood livability and giving people a place where they can go to the bathroom. Again, that's not out in the public.
1: When that does happen out in public, people take notice. We're going to take you to the street in San Francisco with the highest number of complaints about poop right after a break.
2: Okay. Laura and I are out on Sycamore Street, an alley that intersects with Mission Street near 17th.
1: We're here because the SFNEXT team has been trying to figure out what the data says about the success of the Pit Stop program. Data reporter Adriana Rizal has been crunching the numbers.
2: She looked at reports of poop to 311 since 2008. And when I say looked at, I mean that literally. A lot of people who make complaints about feces attach photos on the SF311 mobile homepage. She's looked through a lot of poop pictures. You can read her story at sfchronicle.com sfnext.
1: One of the things she found was that there's one place that has racked up hundreds of reports, by far the most in San Francisco, and that's here, Sycamore Street near Mission. We wanted to see this for ourselves. Given the number of 311 reports, we were expecting a lot of poop instead. Okay, now that is a clean sidewalk. Did we just show up here right after street cleaning? We should check the signs. <laughs> 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Thursday. We oh, sure shit. did. <laughs> well, uh, what really what we're coming away with is pro tip. If you want to hang out on Sycamore Alley, do it on a Thursday after 10 a.m. Because yep. the streets will be swept. They don't sweep the sidewalks though, and the sidewalks are also suspiciously clean. Oh, there's some poop. (gasps) Actually, it looks like a hairball. We did find a few clusters of turds. Mostly they were concentrated in those little patches of dirt around trees.
2: We figured this wasn't a representative sample of what you'd normally find since we had showed up right after street cleaning, so
6: we talked to someone who works there. My name is Charlie Note. I'm a bartender in the daytimes.
2: Turns out he knows the street and the poop situation really well. Too well, maybe.
6: So it doesn't surprise me that there's a bunch of shit all over the streets. But the fact that people are actually reporting it and telling the city, hey, come clean this up, it's like, oh, wow, there's, they're probably married and have kids and own their own house or something like that, because 20 years ago when I lived here, you weren't calling anyone to say, hey, there's poop on the streets. Our situation is we have a parklet and then we have parking spaces. People are like, oh, no one can see me doing pooping or peeing in this spot. So they would do that on our side of the street. But I would also be like, hey, man, there's a tree with a piece of dirt around it. If you're going to take a pee, do it across the street. Like, where do you want me to go? Like, go across the street like, like a normal, like in the gutter, like not on what is essentially my restaurant where people are sitting within a few feet from.
2: Note says there's more families living across the street, so you're more likely to have the cops called on you if you go there. And let's be clear, getting desperate for a place to relieve yourself is not unique to people who live on the street.
6: We only have one bathroom here. So during brunch and bottomless mimosas, the line gets 30, 40 minutes long sometimes. There's 20 people in line, and I have witnessed all kinds of people, good and bad, not be able to contain themselves inside a building at a restaurant, and then also act like it didn't happen and come back out and sit down and keep hanging out.
2: Right now, the closest pit stop to the bar is a block and a half away at the 16th Street BART station, but there used to be a mobile unit much closer. Note says it helped, but sometimes people just go.
6: Even when there was a pit stop there, you know, 100 feet away from my front door of my bar, there still could be shit 10 feet away from the door of the bar. Because, you know what I mean? Like, then that's more about they just don't want to talk to people, or maybe it was after midnight and the pit stop wasn't there. But was it necessarily people taking
2: a dump outside the bar? Note says he can tell.
6: Grew up in Indiana with horses, so I've been surrounded by shit my entire life, basically. Any human that takes a dump on the street finds a place to hide, and then they leave it there. So that's how I usually know, like, oh, that's probably dog poop. I'm like, no, if it's right and that, like that's a dog wouldn't poop there. A human poops there kind of thing.
1: The city's report line 311 does not distinguish between human and animal waste. Why would they? Poop is poop. And if a dog did it, it's still a human who failed to clean it up. Rachel Gordon with the Department of Public Works explained why the origin of poop on the street really isn't important. It doesn't
3: matter because you don't want poop on the sidewalk. We don't do DNA testing of what we find there. Um, But every pit stop you'll see, besides having a toilet for people, we also have dog waste bags that people can pick up for free. We have trash receptacles. We also have needle drop boxes. So we try to kind of consider all the street activity that might be going on out there and try to deal with it. You know, the dog poop issue is a really important issue in San Francisco. During the pandemic, there was a huge rise in people who adopted animals and adopted dogs in San Francisco. We hope they pick up after their pets. We also have noticed, and I'll say this personally, I've noticed someone will be walking their dog, but on their cell phone, texting or listening to something, and they're not paying attention (laughs) to what Rover is doing behind him or her. And so the dog will do its business, and then the person just keeps walking Mm -hmm. on. We are always looking for... (laughs) In fact, we're just starting to work with our sister agency, Animal Care and Control, to do a new campaign around picking up after your dog. We had one a couple of years ago, pre-pandemic, called Do the Right Thing, uh, where we provided, I know, okay, puns are bad, but they're, <laughs> they're kind of fun too, but we, where we give out
1: dog waste bags to businesses. Putting aside the impossible distinction between human and animal waste, the data that the Chronicle parsed shows that 311 reports have been steadily rising over the years. In the Tenderloin, they dropped, likely because there's a high concentration of pit stops there. Also, Rachel Gordon says, some neighborhoods tend to use 311 more than others. So we really appreciate
3: 311 data because it really does help inform where we're going to put our resources. But we've also seen with 311 that there are some communities that use 311 more than others. We have seen over the years, and thank goodness, that 311 has expanded its opportunities to contact them. So at first it was calling up. Now you could do it on the website. Now you could tweet them the request. There's a 311 app. So there are a lot of ways. We've seen calls go up because it's easier to make the complaints. Could we use a lot more pit stops? Absolutely. But they're not cheap to run. They are effective to operate. So it's going to always be that balance of resources versus needs.
1: And yes, sometimes the bathrooms are not pristine or they're out of order. Gordon acknowledges that. There are still people who use pit stops even though a staffer
3: is there who will vandalize the bathroom in some way or mess it up. And we're aware of that. And if it's something that the attendant can't clean up right away, they are instructed to take it offline, make sure that it gets back to that standard we expect before they reopen it. And it's really setting expectations for people if you use a pit stop of what you can expect. You know, it's not going to be the Ritz-Carlton bathroom there, but they should be pretty decent for public bathrooms.
1: But everyone we talk to is still pretty sure that the pit stop program works to keep the streets cleaner. Remember Randy Carter, the pit stop supervisor
2: we talked to at 16th and Cap Streets? I asked him if he's noticed the streets being cleaner since the toilets
4: have been installed. I would like to think so, because we have trash cans here. So people are motivated and not throwing their trash on the ground, and they'll take the time to throw it in the trash can. The one thing I noticed is that people have become dependent and reliable on these units because of COVID and a lot of stores or restaurants don't have a restroom available. So people have become dependent on using the restroom, not just using the restroom, but also like interacting with the monitor and using the monitor, not just as a, for the toilet, but for resource information. And people feel safe when they come by and they know that it's someone out here who's serving the public and they feel comfortable with communicating and interacting with us.
1: Clearly, the problem of poop on the sidewalks has not been 100% solved. But our reporting suggests having more readily available toilets open to the public and well-maintained does help. And the Pit Stop program is a very special kind of San Francisco unicorn. It seems like almost everyone agrees about it. Here's Rachel Gordon again. We have been
3: really fortunate in San Francisco that This program, I've been around kind of city politics and city government on and off, you know, well, really in some capacity for 35 years now, I think. And there were very few programs you can point to that will have the support of the Chamber of Commerce and the local merchants and the Coalition on Homelessness and neighborhood groups and nonprofits and every, you know. And it's really amazing to see that, as you just said, people want bathrooms, so people have a place to go.
1: It's even been picked up elsewhere. Gordon says several other cities have experimented with the model. Denver, Miami, and Los Angeles have similar setups.
3: Someone from Japan came to look at it. A couple of people from Europe have come to look at it. And we're happy to share anything they want with it, including our branding, if they want to
1: do that. Because we think the more public toilets you can have, the better it is for everyone. If you want to see for yourself, there's a map of pit stops at sfpublicworks.org. And you can read the data story about the program at sfchronicle.com sfnext. We'll post a link to the map in the show notes, too, just in case you're out on the town and nature calls and someone's parklet starts to look tempting.
2: Don't do it.
1: <laughs> Fixing Our City is part of the San Francisco Chronicle's SFNext project, where we explore how the city will chart its future and address its biggest challenges. And we want to check out your ideas. Do you have a solution you want the city to pursue? Know someone who's making a difference on an important issue? Send an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com. You can also DM us on Twitter, we're at sfnext. I'm Laura Wenis. I'm Cynthia Lopez. This is Fixing Our City. Next time on Fixing Our City. On a busy Chinatown corner, a new storefront is opening up. But they're not selling anything.
2: This is the heart of Chinatown. I want people to come in
1: and say hello, and I want to invite them personally to come dream with us. How local leaders decided to try to change narratives and spark conversation with art. That's next week. Cynthia Lopez produces and reports for Fixing Our City, Gary Baca is our sound engineer, King Kaufman is the executive producer, Jonathan Krim is the SF Next project editor. Fixing Our City is part of the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, exploring how the city will shape its future and tackle its biggest problems. Read stories by our reporters, check out interactive data breakdowns, and find our podcast archive at sfchronicle.com sfnext. If you have a solution you'd like us to cover or you know about a city that's doing something right, get in touch. Shoot an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com or find us on Twitter at SFNExt.